Welcome to the Well Ministry Podcast, where we want to help you understand the Bible. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Pastor Nathan Walter. All right, Matthew 21, 28. All right, just going to be honest right now. This is a lot. This is a lot of stuff, okay? Um, it's very long. Um, we're going to be having lunch here, if that's okay. No, I'm just kidding, but I am covering a lot, so it's very serious today. All right, so the parable of the two sons. What do you think? Maybe I, okay, so we need to remember, before we go into this, we need to remember that this is a continuation of last week. Um, Jesus was in the temple courts, uh, most likely under Solomon's porch. The chief priests and elders had just challenged his authority or his right to teach what his credentials were. He didn't answer, but instead he said, uh, what authority um, did John the Baptist have? Um, they responded that they didn't know because they didn't want to say it came from God because then they would uh, they didn't want to give Jesus any authority because John baptized Jesus. But they didn't want to anger the people by saying he wasn't from God, so they said they didn't know. In these next verses, he's continuing to talk to them. He's in the same place. The same people are there. The same chief priests and elders are there. He's continuing a conversation. Sometimes we, when there's a new heading or a new chapter, um, we think, oh, this is another day or this is another setting, but it's not. It's just a continuation. Um, so, and we're going to read the next three parables. Um, so the parable of the two sons. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. So just remember this as you're going to do your taxes and you sit down with, you're like, they're no better than a prostitute. So if they talk down to you for not keeping your receipts and stuff, you can say, hey, hey, buddy. I'm just kidding. Um, can we delete that? I don't know if that was. Um, all right. Parable of the tenants. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to, wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. 
When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. And Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, Tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. All right, in this first example, Jesus tells a parable of two sons. In this story, I'm going to kind of summarize it. Um, There's two sons. He tells the first to go to work in the vineyard, and he flat out refuses, uh, but later changes his mind and goes. He tells the second to do the same, and he answers, I will, sir, but he did not go. Jesus then asks which of the two did what the father wanted, and they answer the first. Obviously, the first, the one who went. So Jesus then tells them, meaning the chief priests and the elders, because this is the same conversation, that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Because John came to show the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did, and even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This one uh, is fairly simple and straightforward, um, as most parables are. Um, But I think we should take note, neither son was perfect. Neither son was perfect. Neither one said, yes, I will, sir, and then went. Right? One was like the oldest child who said, I will, and then didn't go. And the other one was obviously the youngest who flat out refused to go. Um, right? The first was disrespectful to his father. He wasn't asked. He was told. He refuses. Um, and so even, even that one um, is not a perfect example. The second son showed respect to his father, so there was some good there. He said, he said I will, sir, um, throws in that th- sir, uh, but, but then he doesn't go. And sometimes um, we in the church and in the community, we get really blinded by politeness, right? Someone says, sir, ma'am, we think that's a good kid right there. It's a good kid right there. You see what that kid just did? Call me sir. See what that kid just did? Call me ma'am. That's a good kid, right? They're very polite. But then you go out in the community and, and you're like, that kid is trash, right? Not really. God loves them. But but we get blinded by, and we do in the church too, like there's a look, there's a way to talk, and when we get blinded and say these people are good people based on politeness, based on things that we hold dear. Um, and so this, and I'm not saying not to be respectful, I'm not saying not to teach your kids to be respectful, uh, please do, um, but, but God is interested in the action, 
in, the, in our actions, what we do. Um, and they're told to go work in the vineyard. Told. We've all been told. Not asked, not advised, but we've been told to make disciples. The vineyard of the people. We've been told to make disciples, to love as he first loved us, to forgive as we have been forgiven. And none of us are perfect. We fail. Sometimes we say in our hearts, I will. I will, Lord. I will, sir. I will do what you told me to do. I will, I will make disciples. I will love as you've loved. I will forgive as you've forgiven me. And sometimes we say in our hearts, we're like the other son, and we say, I will not. I will not forgive that person. I cannot love that person. You don't understand. I can't, I can't go talk to people about Jesus. And we, and we have excuses. And, and so we don't do it. So in, in many, sometimes we're the first son. Sometimes we're the second son. But the one who is obedient in the end, and there's been a lot of times I, you know, I've I don't say to God I'm not going to forgive that person, you know. But there's there's a little bit of takes some time to be like okay, okay, because um, because God when He's telling you something He's just like beating you to a pulp in your brain until you you're just like all right fine I'll do it. You guys, not me. I'm ready to first time ready to go. Um, but but um, the one who is obedient in the end even through obstinance, is better than one who has a look of doing what is right, dressing the right way and saying the right things. And Jesus ends this by telling them that John had come to show them the way of righteousness, one who looks righteous, but the other who is obedient will enter the kingdom of heaven. That's the righteousness John is talking about. And this goes far beyond an insult to them. Tax collectors and prostitutes were considered to be outside the Torah, they had abandoned the law of God. So even though we have to remember all these people are Jewish. So though they're Jewish by birth, they're the chosen people. They had become like Gentiles. They were no longer the, considered the chosen. They were outsiders. They had chosen to be outside of the people of God. Um, but these chief priests and elders he's talking to were considered to be at the pinnacle of righteousness. They were the most righteous. They were the ones you looked at to see what righteousness was. They were holy. Um, they were considered to be the closest to God, the leaders of the faith. So these outsiders, the people who had chosen to be outside of God's law and chosen not to be set apart, were getting in before the leaders of the faith. So this is a really big insult. But Jesus isn't done. Um, he tells another parable of a landowner who planted a vineyard, and that landowner puts a wall around it, digs a wine press and builds a watchtower and then rents the vineyard to some farmers and moved away, which is a very common occurrence at this time and this place. So when the harvest time approaches, he sends some service, servants to collect his, um, he's probably going to get part of the harvest, part of the fruit or part of the grain um, and the, as rent for the property. Uh, but the tenants repeatedly beat or kill his servants until finally he sends his own son saying, surely they'll show him respect, but they kill him also. And Jesus tells them the day will come when the owner returns and he will destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to those who will do what they were supposed to do. So the main elements of this parable um, are the landowner, who's God, the vineyard, so who in this story is Israel. But now we can't always just look at these parables and be like, well, that means Israel because now it means us. So the, the landowner in this story is God. The vineyard is Israel. The tenants are the religious leaders, and the landowners' servants who have been sent are the prophets and the priests who have been faithful to God who were killed. And the son, obviously, is Jesus. 
The other tenants who he gives it to at the end are those considered to be the lowly Israelites and the Gentiles. So the picture Jesus is painting is a familiar prophetic picture from the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah says, "Um, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard that I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, its protection. It will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the rains, I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel and the people of Judah and the vines he delighted in. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So God is saying he gave them everything they needed. Not only did he plant the vineyard, but he dug a wine press and built a watchtower. Not only did he establish a people and say, hey, you were chosen by me, good for you. Not only did he set them apart, but he also gave them his laws and commands. That's what he's saying. I gave you my laws and commands. I gave you my protection. I gave you instructions on how to live. I told you what you would do to be blessed. I told you what you would do to be cursed. I gave you everything you needed to. I gave, needed to have. I gave you blessing and protection. But again and again, the people go astray. Their leaders turn from God and turn, take their own paths, and they set up the high places and worship false gods. And they forget these leaders or these tenants, and we forget, church leaders, that the leaders have no power, no authority, and no rights beyond what the landlord has given them. The landlord is the one who has the power, authority, and he disperses the rights. But again and again, leaders want all the power to themselves. They do what they want in their own eyes. And so God sends a messenger, servants, meaning a prophet. And each time they're led astray, a prophet comes with the word of the Lord to turn the people back to him, but they're all killed. The religious leaders and kings don't really like what God has to say, don't like what the prophets has to say, because each one comes with a warning. It's always turn, turn, or God's justice will come, but they never listen. And finally, God sends his own son to show his people the way, but the leaders are the ones who oppose him because they want the authority for themselves. So Jesus is warning them that God will replace them as leaders. He will give it to someone else. And this parable, and I'm doing these three parables because they do tie together. I'm not just like, let's get this done. Okay, I'm tying, they, they, they do tie together. But this particular parable tells us a little bit about God. It tells us he entrusts us with his work. He entrusts us with his work. He doesn't just entrust us with the task, but he gives us the means to do it. If he's given you something to do, he will give you the means to do it. He will provide the way. He's patient. He doesn't come with sudden vengeance when we fail, or when we're not producing a good enough crop the first time. And it also tells us the part that we don't like that tells of, of, of his judgment, and not just judgment in the end, but he will take away the task we were given and give it to another. We don't think about that. 
But here he takes away the job of the leaders and says, I will give it to someone else. I'll give it to someone else if you are not faithful. But this also tells us about Jesus. Here we see that he knew what was coming. He knew he would be killed. And it's also a very clear claim he is making when, when he quotes Psalm 118, 22 through 24. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. He's saying that he's the stone that the builders rejected and that he's the most important stone, the foundation. And the, the quote, he, the thing he's quoting in Psalms also um, makes reference to several other different um, prophecies from Isaiah. And prophecy uh, in Isaiah 8, 13 says, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And for the people of Jerusalem, he will be a trap and a snare. Many of them will stumble, they will fall and be broken, they will be snared and captured. And then in Isaiah 28, so this is what the sovereign Lord says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. And then even, even in Daniel, if you've done a study on Daniel, um, when he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream of a statue and there's like gold and bronze and iron. Maybe we'll go over it one day. But, but even Nebuchadnezzar's dream contains a prophecy of Jesus and the kingdom to come in Daniel 2.34. It says, while you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will, but it will itself endure forever. So Jesus is pointing back to the prophets and saying all these things that have been prophesied about a kingdom to come, about a found, uh, foundation stone, I, this is me. I am the foundation stone, the stone the builders rejected. All these prophecies are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He's made not by human hands, and his kingdom shall not pass away. A sure foundation for some, but a stumbling block for others. And what does that mean? A stumbling block for others. Well, let's look at the last parable. In this final parable, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a king who throws a wedding banquet for his sons and sends out invitations. After he prepares everything, only the finest, he sends out his servants to tell those who have already been invited that it's time to come. But none came. Some were directly defiant and oppositional uh, killed the messengers while others simply had more important things to do. They said they went about their business, one to his business, one to his field. But it ends the same for all of them as the king sends his army to destroy the murderers and burn their city. And then he tells the servants to go out in the streets and gather as many as would come, bad and good, to fill the wedding banquet. And it seems like a beautiful example, doesn't it? Like, oh, that's so, that's all. I mean, not when he's like burning the city and stuff. But you're like, yes, and all the people will be brought in. What a great end. What a great end to that. But then there's a strange encounter at the end 
of that story where the king comes to greet the guests and he discovers a man not wearing the wedding clothes that have been provided. He asks the man how he got in without the wedding clothes and the man has no answer. So he's bound hand and foot and thrown outside into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It says, for many are invited, but few are chosen. So in light of the last two parables, because we have to remember that he's like kind of building on something here. We know that the king is God, the son is Jesus, and the people who were invited um, in, this, in this part are the Pharisees. But as the word is alive, and it is still alive for us, it can be those who reject God, reject his authority, or those who say they do, much like the second son, but are too busy for the king. They're too busy in their lives, have other things to do, can't really follow. Other things were more important. They were invited, and they said they would come. Jesus said, come and follow me. You're invited. And they said, I will come. I'm going to make a decision. I will come. I will follow you. And we all say we will. But when the time comes to actually follow, we have other things that are more important. And so the king invited anyone and everyone. It says good or bad. Invited everyone, good or bad. Which is kind of strange. How can a bad person, how can a bad person be sitting at the wedding feast? How can he be sitting and feasting at the wedding feast of the lamb? And the answer lies in the wedding clothes. The answer lies in the wedding clothes. In that era, it was common for a host to provide garments for his guests as it would be a considerable expense for such fine clothes. Wouldn't that be great if the, the wedding people gave you clothes to wear, right? Instead of just being like, hey, you're going to be one of my groomsmen. Here's a suit. Go buy it. It's so ugly. You will never wear it again. You know, and like girls here, wear this color. I picked a color that's awful on all of you. How about some orange, you know, and everyone's like, oh, it looks so bad. How many, there's so many tears on wedding days. Um, it's crazy. Um, it's always something. And I'm not talking about the ladies. I'm talking about the guys. You know, guys, we get all like, this bow tie, this is not a lot. I wanted to wear a tie. I don't look, my face looks fat. Um, and so in that era, it was common uh, for uh, them to provide fine clothes to come to a wedding banquet. And these people off the streets cannot, certainly not afford such clothes. But this man, so it was provided to him, but he wouldn't wear them. He would not, prov he would not wear the wedding clothes. Why are they so important? Well, if we go back to Psalm 118, where Jesus quoted about the, the rock, it says, open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. You have become my salvation. And in Isaiah 61.10, it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. We cannot enter the wedding feast, which is the wedding feast of the Lamb in Revelation 19, without being dressed in the righteousness that comes through the blood of Jesus. 
We cannot enter the feast without the salvation that Jesus has provided, without being dressed in the blood of the lamb, dressed in his righteousness. We cannot come in our own merit. We cannot come in our own clothes. We cannot come in our own righteousness. And this is how Jesus is the rock that can be a stumbling block for others. This is how it's a stumbling block. Each of these parables deals with the same thing. They all deal with righteousness. Each one of them. After the first one, Jesus says, John came to show you the way of righteousness. John came to prepare the way to show you that a different righteousness than what you have interpreted is needed. He came to show the way, but you wouldn't listen. You acted like he was from God. You acted like he had a message from God. You did all the signs to please the people to make it seem like you agreed, but you never acted on what he said. And what did he say? What was John's message? Repent. John's message was repent. In the second parable, the messengers are killed. He says, I send messengers. I send my servants time and time again. And each time you killed them. And what was every single prophet's message in the Old Testament? Repent. John the Baptist's message is the same as the Old Testament prophets, which is all a word of the Lord. What the Lord sends, what he speaks to his people, repent, 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 repent. If you want my blessing, if you don't want this curse you've brought upon yourself, if you want things to change, you need to repent. You need to come before me and you need to repent, but they killed them. Why? Because they would not do it. They did not want to hear it. They did not want to repent. They didn't want to hear they needed to repent. They didn't want to hear all the things that they've done so that they felt guilty and felt the need to repent. It's all about righteousness and repentance. The salvation of Jesus, the righteousness that he clothes us and the wedding clothes that were bought for us and given to us freely must be accepted. You know, exactly, how can, how can good people go to hell? Someone said it to me just like that. How can good people go to hell? How, if God loves everyone, God provides the wedding clothes and invites the good and the bad. But the wedding clothes must be worn. The righteousness of Jesus must be worn, but the clothes to be accepted come with repentance. And it's so, it's so easy to do, but so hard to do. And once we've repented, and been forgiven. Repent. And repent means to turn. It doesn't mean to say I'm sorry. It means to turn. To turn back. Away from that action. And this is how Jesus is the foundation of the stumbling block. Because when we repent. And we're forgiven. And we accept Jesus. We, we are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. We are given the wedding clothes. But if we can't. If we just will not humble ourselves. I will not humble myself. I will not repent. I will not I'll repent of that sin. I'm not even going to repent of that, of that sin because I don't believe it's a sin. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's rejecting the wedding clothes. It's rejecting the need to be humble before God, repent of our sin, turn from our sin. And so many stumble over that step. So many stumble over that step. There are so many people in church, Christians, who have not and will not repent. And the invitations were sent out, come, follow me. And we said, I will. And he says, it's time. It's time. But we go about our business. And listen, this isn't just about 
judgment. This isn't just about judgment. This isn't like a camp hell sermon. It's not about judgment. It's not just about judgment, because it is about judgment a little bit. But this outer darkness that the man is cast into, the word, it doesn't mean like nighttime. It doesn't mean just dark. It means more of an absence of the illumination of God in our lives. So many people are outside right now. They're in the dark, and they're the absence, they have the absence of the illumination of God in our lives. But the feast, what does he call us to? What, what is the feast about? Uh, and I'm going to be reading from the complete Jewish Bible, um, just to like up my street cred with other pastors. So Proverbs, because there is such a thing as street cred. So, and it comes from Proverbs 9, 1 through 6. And listen to this. Wisdom has built herself a house. She has carved her seven pillars. She has prepared her food, spiced her wine, and she has set her table. She has sent out her young girls with invitations. She calls from the heights of the city. Whoever is unsure of himself, turn in here. To someone weak-willed, she says, come and eat my food. Drink the wine I have mixed. Don't stay unsure of yourself. Don't stay unsure of yourself, but live. Walk in the way of understanding. See, the illumination of God at the feast isn't just about what happens at the end. I, you can see it in our lives right now. You can see the divide. You can see people in the darkness panicking with the absence of God in their lives. And God says, come, come, come in. You're invited. Are you unsure of yourself? Do you not know who you are? Do you not know where you stand? Do you not know where to go? Are you unsure? Are you weak-willed? Are you not strong? Can you not stand on your own? Do you not feel secure in, in, in anything? Come. Come. Come to the feast. You're invited. You might have been outside sitting on the streets, and that's just made you more and more unsure of yourself as people walk by and don't notice, as people walk by and maybe spit at you. People refuse to lend a hand. God says, come, come. You, I'm not saying and those people, specifically he calls out, you who are unsure of yourself, you who are weak, you are invited, you who are sitting there in your heads thinking, yes, but not me, that is who I'm inviting. Come to the feast. Come. You are invited to the wedding feast of the land. You are invited to wisdom. You are invited to my safety. You are invited into blessing. You are invited to be chosen. And I have the clothes for you. You might feel like you're dirt. You might feel like you don't, like you're poor. You don't have what you need. I will provide. I've already provided the clothes for you. All you have to do is put it on. All you have to do is put it on. Let me clothe you in the fine clothes of righteousness. Let me clothe you in the fine clothes of righteousness. I have laid out the best from my table for each one of you, the good and the bad. And all it takes is repentance. It's all it takes. It's so easy. It's so easy. 
God is so good. As we begin this year, you know, whether or not you've ever accepted Christ in your life, we all need to repent time and time again. We all make mistakes, and, and sometimes we refuse to repent, and, and we just get further away, and, and God continually calls us to be dressed in his righteousness, provided the clothes of righteousness. He's so good. So let's just go before him. Let's just go before him and see each, each, let's each of us go to God and ask what he wants from us today. If you would, let's just close our eyes.